Amen. Only Jesus. Can you say that with me? Only Jesus. Because that's truly who it's all about. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of John chapter 15. We're going to finish out chapter 15 today. And it's, the sermon is entitled, How to Treat Your Friends and Your Enemies. Now you may not think you have any enemies, but you do. And uh, we have friends as well. Good to see you, my brother. I bless you. Uh, God is good, and He's good all the time. We have been walking down through John 15, and we talked about Jesus being the true vine, and Jesus was telling us that we have to stay connected to Him if we're going to be inseparable from Him and have all that He has to offer for us. And then He talks about the love and joy perfected. And if we're going to continue to remain in Him, we have to stay close with every single thing that we do. Jesus was going to cross the Brook Kidron this night, and He was going to go into Gethsemane, and He was going to be uh, mobbed a short time later. He was going to sweat great drops of blood. He was going to uh, go the next morning to three unjust trials, and then he was going to be crucified and placed upon an old rugged cross. He was going to die for our sins. He was going to be resurrected for our hope and our future. And he was going to ascend back to the Father that we might understand that we too will ascend to the Heavenly Father above. But today, in our text, he tells us two things. He tells us first off about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And then... He tells us all that's that's infected in these things, how we become uh, controlled, if you will, by love, joy, and peace, and how that friendship develops from that. And then he tells us also how when we pass beyond that, that we also have enemies that are going to want to fight us and enemies that are going to want to assault us and assail us, and they're going to want to minimize our Christian faith. So we're going to see all of that come together today. So I would ask you to stand with me as we read, starting in verse 12. We'll read down to verse 17 and then pick the rest of it up in a bit. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, a couple of things you're going to see through here is love and friends, love and friends, love and friends, okay? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you that you may love one another. Heavenly Father, I pray as believers that we would love one another. And that we would love those who do not even love us that are called our enemies. And Father, as we do this, that we would grow and that we would uh, develop and we would connect and we would multiply and we would make a difference in 2023 for the kingdom's work here in the Tri-County area. That Lord, uh, those that know us would know that we truly are sold out, dedicated followers of Christ. Whether they agree with us or not, we will love them in spite of what they think and what they do. And now we ask you, Lord, just open our hearts to the truth of the very Word of God that you've given us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Have you, obviously you have, you've heard the terminology, good news, 
bad news. Yeah? And this week, some have got good news and some have gotten bad news. And that's just a normal part of life. We are on the mountaintop or where it seems like we're in the valley or we're coming into a storm or we're exiting a storm. It seems like there's something all the time that we're battling. And good news, bad news. And the good news is you have a friend that loves you. The bad news is you have an enemy that hates you in the Word of God. And that is so true. And I uh, heard a, of a son who came into his father and he said, Dad... I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want first? And the father said, well, I want the good news. And the son said, the, air, the, the uh, airbags on my car work. <laughs> That's the good news. Well, you can, uh, you can understand what the bad news is. The car has been wrecked. But we're going to have some good news in our life. We're going to have some bad news. In our text, we're going to have some good news. And we're going to have some bad news. But I want you to know the bad news is not as bad as you think. We often, we want to focus on the bad news and think, oh, how terrible it is. But the first point that I want to point out in our text is in verse 14. We have a friend who loves us. And Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, Jesus had told his disciples starting that night that he wasn't going to call them servants anymore, but he was going to call them friends. And I think that's such a, an amazing thing because you go back in the Old Testament, the first time you hear about a friend of God, it's Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. And then we come to Moses, and Moses was called a friend of God who saw the Lord face to face. And then we come to the New Testament, and we see that God calls Lazarus his friend. He said, we are going to raise Lazarus. He is sleeping, a euphemism for death, and we're going to wake him up. But because Jesus is our friend, there are some qualities about friendship. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it said, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know what? I think the greatest, maybe the greatest definition of a friend is is someone who walks in to your life when everybody else is walking out. I mean, you know, life's bad, things are difficult, maybe you've blown it, and, and, and those so-called friends are, are exiting your life. But here comes that person that's walking into your life that loves you in spite of your failures, in spite of you being a misfit, in spite of, of you falling. And they say, listen, I am here with you, I don't agree, but I want you to know I love you regardless. And in this life, you're going to have a lot of acquaintances. And I know a lot of people are on Facebook, and that's fine. But you don't have 1,592 friends, trust me. You have a lot of acquaintances. You have a few friends in life that will be there when things get rough. And they will stand by you closer than a brother. And they will not abdicate their relationship with you. They will be there for the good. They will be there for the bad. The practical application of this is this. What kind of friend are you to others? That's the real issue. What kind of friend are you? You see, we, we don't need to demand friendship for us. We need to say, here's the type of friend that I need to be. And when they're hurting, I will be there for them and with them. And they will never have to look over their shoulder to second guess if I am there. I will be there. Now, that's 
a true friend. So what are the characteristics of real friends? Number one, a real friend sacrifices freely. They sacrifice freely. When in the middle of the night you have a need and you call out, they don't say, well, can it wait till tomorrow? They immediately say, I'll be there as soon as I can get my britches on, and I will help you. Now, Jesus at this time, in our text, it's near midnight. His, his disciples, his apostles are exhausted from being there all day and having the Lord's Supper and, and going through the foot washing and all the things that they'd gone through, going through the teachings of the Last Supper. And now it's late, their bellies are full, their eyes are heavy, and they are crossing the Kidron Valley and they're going up into Gethsemane and, and they are exhausted. But this was the day that, listen, before the foundation of the world had been set aside to redeem the world and they were to lock in and be prepared for what God had for them because it was going to be something incredibly special. And God knew it. They didn't quite understand it yet. Jesus was going to die. And he said in verse 13 these words, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. Let me ask you a question. Are you laying your life down? Now, it doesn't mean that your life's going to be taken, but are you willing to lay your life down? There is a... a Event center, a conference center in Erie or Glen Erie, Colorado. And it is a beautiful place. And uh, there's a plaque on the walk there. And that plaque has the name of Dawson Earl Troutman. And Dawson Earl Troutman was the founder of the Navigators. And the dates on that plaque are 1906 to 1956. And the question was asked why is that plaque there? And they were, there was a boating accident, and in that boating accident, this girl fell overboard, and, board and, and, and Dawson was on the boat as well, and he was clinging to the side, but he realized the girl was drowning. So he swam to the girl and propped her up as long as he could until the other boat got there to save her, but his, his strength was gone, and he sank, and he drowned, and he died. And that plaque was put there in his place. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for their friends. And that's exactly what Jesus was going to do that night. He was going to lay down his life for his friends. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to funeral services where it's a military funeral. And they will take the flag, fold the flag. They will bend on their knee and they'll quote that verse. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And there are so many people that have laid down their life, and we don't even recognize the fact of them doing that. Listen, we need to understand that Jesus gave the greatest sacrifice that could ever be given. So a real friend sacrifices freely. He gives of himself or herself. So are you willing to do that? It doesn't mean you'll have to die. It could mean you die to your wishes. You could die to your dreams. You could die to your desires. You could die to your time. You could die to your money. You could die for all of those things. Jesus is that friend that was willing to lay everything on the line to say, I'm giving it all up for you. But you know the strange thing? He gave it all up for us, but a lot of us, we wouldn't give anything up for him. Right? We barely give time or talent. Yesterday, though, I've got to praise. I've got to praise. 
We had brotherhood and sisterhood here, and I don't know exactly how many we had, 35, 40 people. I don't know, it was a bunch though, and it was great. We had a great, great fellowship, we had great food, and got a lot accomplished, and everybody was just joyful. And that's what it's about. That's what it means to connect. And we've got to reconnect after this pandemic. And I know we're not through it, but we are, I'm through with it, aren't you? <laughs> Been through with it for a long time. But, but we have to reconnect and, and reestablish those connections that have become so fragile and so thin and so frayed. And, and we have to say, Lord, give us the strength to do the things that we once did before. Help us to sacrifice. Help us to lay ourselves down for others to make a difference. And we have that idea in this community. We're going to make a difference in the community this year. We're going to be out working in our community. We're going to change things. We're going to let people know that Christ is exalted and we're not doing it for benefit of the church or benefit of the people that are working. We're doing it for the benefit of Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. But secondly, a real friend serves gladly. You know... I mean, you, you serve not out of, oh, I guess I'll do it because John asked me to do it. But I'll do it because Jesus commands that I do it. You know, Jesus said, I'm not going to call you servants anymore, but I'm going to call you friends. And, and a friend has a real heart. A friend has a heart to be there for his friends. Again, in verse 14, I want you to hear it again. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. What did Jesus command us to do? He commanded us to go about doing good deeds. Amen. He said, if you are commissioned to go one mile, how many miles do you go? Two. If you're slapped on the right cheek, turn the left cheek. That's pretty tough. Because what, what do we want to do? We want to retaliate. You hit me, I'll hit you harder. I'm going to get even. And, and that's kind of how we live our lives, unfortunately. But Jesus molded servanthood when he took the basin, he took the towel, and he got down and washed the disciples' feet because they wouldn't wash one another's feet, but he did it for them. And Peter said, oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. So Peter said, well, listen, uh, just not on my feet, but my whole body. He said, well, you've already had a bath. You just need your feet clean. And you know, that's like salvation. You've already been clean. All you need to do is confess that sin that you committed today. Or those sins you committed today, or how many ever sins it is you've committed today. But a servant does what his master commands, but a friend does because of love. A friend loves the master. Look at verse 15. In verse 15 it said, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now isn't that amazing that God says, listen, the things that I have made known, that the Father's made known to me, I have made known to you. I'm letting you in on the secrets. What is the secret? The secret is the mystery of the church. And we are part of the church, the body of Christ. And he's given us that secret, that mystery. And he said, here it is. Here it is, all of it. You know, a friend is quick to listen. And see what his friend is really asking for. And I think back, uh, we had a football team here, been several years ago, and, and uh, you told the story. Told the story of King David and his mighty men. Do you remember that? And uh, King David and his mighty men, David, they were, they were surrounded. And, and uh, 
and, and they were in a cave near Bethlehem and they couldn't get out of the cave. And, and David said, oh, if I could just have a drink at the, from the well in Bethlehem. And three of his mighty friends snuck out that night in the midst of this warfare and they went and got that water and brought it back. And King David was so moved by their love for him that he wouldn't even drink it. He poured it out on the ground as, a, as an offering to God. And, and that's what friends do. They, they listen for needs. They listen. And, and they don't have to be told over and over and over. They hear it and they say, okay, I'm going to respond. I'm going to do that. I'm going to serve my friend. I remember my first pastor. In fact, it was my first Sunday as the pastor. And they had a revival scheduled. I didn't know the evangelist. But he said, John, what type of foods do you not like? I thought he was just, you know, asking, just to be asking, making small talk. I said, well, I hate onions. I hate them. Don't like the texture. Don't like anything about them. First thing he gets up in the pulpit and he says is, your pastor doesn't like onions, so don't cook him any. Thought I'd pass out. Thought, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. But then the lady that came to me, she said, I was going to fix you onions next week. Praise God. (laughs) He was doing me a favor and I didn't even know it. He was being a friend. He was helping me out. But a friend listens. So listen to your friends. Listen to what they're saying. Mark it down. Now, We have friends who love us, but we also have enemies who oppose us. Look at verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated me both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in the law. They hated me without cause. Later his words would take on new meanings as Jesus uh, would go and be crucified by the cruel Roman soldiers the next day. The book of Acts, we see the, the horrible persecution of the early church. And that's why Jesus said in verse 18, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. And we say, well, why in the world would the world hate us? I mean, we're trying to do the right things. We're trying to be godly people. We're trying to love people. We're trying to make a difference in the world. We're trying to be a positive influence in our world. Why would the world hate us? Have you ever asked your question, that question? Why would the world hate that if you're trying to be good, wholesome, and you're trying to uphold moral values, why would the world hate you? Well, the Bible says that we are not friends with the world, but enemies of the world. And the Bible says that the world, it's not talking about this planet that's spinning through space. 
It's not talking about the people of this world, but it's talking about the human system of this world. The, the immoral, ungodly human system that doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in the Word of God. And Satan is called in Ephesians 2.2 the God of this world. So what we have is we are in a battle. And the reason the world hates us is because of our position based upon the book, the Word of God. That's why we're hated. Because if you stand fast and you say there is truth, not your truth, my truth, and their truth, but you say there is the truth, because Jesus said, John eight thirty two, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except he come through me. So he's basically saying all truth is me. And if you don't believe that, which the world doesn't, then you're going to be castigated and you're going to be persecuted and you're, you're going to be maligned because you are narrow-minded and bigoted and you're just not a good person. But I want you to know something. I can still disagree with the world system and love people, right? That's our call. It's to continue to love people. I can disagree without being disagreeable. I wrote this down. I thought about it in my office this morning. So it's not, don't have it on the thing, but here it is. You can create enemies because of your position, but you should never create enemies because of your disposition. Did you catch that? You can create enemies because of your position, what you believe. But you should never create enemies because of your disposition. Now, this allows us to connect with those that we consider and they consider enemies in three ways. And here they are. Number one, when there is a difference in opinion or a difference in real truth and a lie, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Because we, we so often want to take everything personally and we want to fight about it. You ever want to fight? Say, oh yeah, I knocked him out. No, no. You ever want a verbal fight? No. You just divide up in corners. You go to your corners. You don't, you don't win verbal fights. You just make enemies. Don't fight. Sometimes our Christian lifestyle can be offensive to others. They look at it and they say, no, I don't believe that. And sometimes I find myself in a situation where people use a lot of foul language and they'll say, oh, sorry, preacher, I, I didn't mean to say that. I say, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm not the one you need to apologize to. You need to apologize to him. Right? It's not me. It's the Lord. Our granddaughter used to want to always say, oh, my G-O-D. And we'd say, no, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And she'd say, now, I don't say, oh, my. And we'd say, Brianna. You say, oh, my goodness. And it took us the longest time to break her from that because she'd heard it at school. And now it's, she's 14. It's, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with taking the Lord's name in vain. Not okay with that. And, and, and we shouldn't be okay with that. Listen, the world lives in darkness. I mean, they think that the world thinks we're condemning them when all we're doing is bringing light into the world. And when you bring light into the world, guess what you do? You light up the deeds of darkness or exposed to the bright light. And what do you do? It's painful. You don't want that. And it's like this corrupt culture. And you bring salt into that corrupt culture. And it stings. And they remember, they hated Jesus. So listen. 
Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Try to win friends and influence people. Don't retaliate, number two. We have the natural tendency to protect ourselves, don't we? mentioned a little bit earlier, someone throws something in your face, you want to throw something back in their face. In your natural instinct, somebody throws something, you duck. It's instinctive. I mean, you do. I mean, somebody throws a fist, I'm probably going to duck. hope I do. hope I'm smart enough. In the same way, when those insults come, those natural tendencies is, I'm going to insult you back. You hurt me, tit for tat. I'm going to get you back. Not going to happen. They give us a verbal slap, we give them a verbal slap. But Romans 12 tells us in 18 and 19, if it is possible, as much, now watch this, as depends upon you, live peaceable with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, here's, here's what's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus says the Lord. So quit trying to pay the debt, okay? Quit trying to make sure you're in charge. Say, Lord, it's on you. Here it is. And that principle is demonstrated later on with Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, they know not what they do. Don't lay this to their account. Wow. Crucifying him and he said, Lord, don't lay it on their account. Peter acted instinctively that night in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. I mean, he had a, he had a sword, and Peter was impetuous. And the battle that was there, the mob was, was, was there, and Peter had just awoken from sleep. And he pulls out his sword, and, and I know Peter was a fisherman, so he wasn't a good swordsman. And he, and he tried to strike that man and split his head open, but he missed and cut off Malchus' ear. And one of them struck the servant, that's Peter, the high priest, and cut off the right ear of Malchus. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. In the midst of going to go to the cross, Jesus did an incredible thing. He said, I'm not going to retaliate. We're going to take care of this. Now remember what he said a little bit later? I could have called legions of angels. 72,000 angels. It only would take one, and that's the weakest angel in the bunch. It's all it would have taken. But Jesus said, listen, I, I don't need anyone to stand up for me. God's doing something good, and Peter, you almost messed it up. I mean, think about it. If Peter had messed that thing up, we'd still be in our sins. But Jesus said, I've come to save. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Put away your sword. And some of us need to put down, listen, put down the swords of retaliation and say, God, I'm going to leave room for you to work. I've tried it. All I've done is cause problems. Thirdly, and lastly, show your kindness to your enemy. Show your kindness to your enemy. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, you've heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Revolutionary. Revolutionary. When Jesus came, I mean, gods were, were seen as, as wrathful, vengeant, angry, vindictive, evil, capricious. But Jesus said, I am a faithful father and a seeking shepherd. 
And he completely transformed it. And, and if you had an enemy, what was your responsibility? Kill your enemy. Defend your territory. Take what is theirs. And Jesus said, no, love your enemy. Love your enemy. It's not going to be easy, and it's not easy. But God loves them, therefore our responsibility is to love them as well. How do we show that love and kindness? Well, Romans 12, 20. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. Thirsty? Give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire upon his head. Showing kindness to your enemy can revolutionize your enemy and make them a friend, transforming them into an ally. And that's our goal, is that we wouldn't stay enemies, but we would become friends. I think of the story of Elisha. He was at Dothan. And the Armenians were, were bearing down on them, and, and he, he prayed to God. He said, blind their eyes. God blinded their eyes. And then he said to them, he said, follow me. And they followed him. And he took them in into the city there at Samaria. And, and, the, and the Israelites surrounded them. And then, and then Elisha said, open their eyes. And they opened their eyes and they realized all those drawn swords, they were going to be killed. And guess what happened? The, the king said, Elisha, we kill them? He said, no, let them go. And they never attacked Israel again. Made them a friend when they were an enemy. I love the story of Booker T. Washington, a great American educator who founded Tuskegee University in Alabama. He wrote, I quote, I'll not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. The only way I can destroy my enemy is to make him my friend. That's good stuff. Jesus said the world's going to hate you because you're different. Because you don't think the same way of the world. The world will, will hate you. They'll malign you. Vance Havner, old preacher that wrote years and years ago, uh, he wrote about a parade he was watching. He saw all of these, these, these marchers. And they were in step, except one man was out of step. And that man had an old transistor radio with, with a bob in his ear, and, and he was marching to a different beat. And I want you to know something as believers, we're marching to a different beat in the world. We're not marching to the same beat as the world. And because of that, we're like a fish swimming upstream. And it looks hard and it is hard. But you know what? That's the right way to go. And we keep on doing it. Stay in step with the Word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus had friends he loved. He had enemies that hated him, but he loved his enemies. Father, he said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Joseph Shriver wrote in 1855, this incredible, it's a poem to his mother initially. What a friend we have in Jesus. James, can you read the third verse out of that? Not from there? Listen, think of those words like you've never heard them before. Now, you, you may be here today. Are you weak and heavy laden? 
Just close your eyes for a moment, everybody. Are you weak and heavy laden? Just raise your hand if you're going through some struggles right now and you need some prayer. Amen, amen, all over the house. Cumbered with a load of care? Are you cumbered with a load of care? You have a lot of things that are, bare, that, that are weighing you down? Just raise your hand so we can pray for you in a minute. Amen, I see all of those hands. Precious Savior, you are still my refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Heavenly Father, I pray for all that have raised their hands today, that have burdens, that are going through adversities, uncertainties, that are facing surgeries, that are facing the unknown, that are having financial issues, relational issues, spiritual issues. And Father, it feels like friends have walked out and they just need somebody to walk in. And I know you will. Father, where we don't know where to be, you know where to be, but open our minds as friends that we would be there in times of need. And help us, Lord, to make a difference in their lives. And Father, I just pray now that your Holy Spirit would move across our hearts and our lives, that we might be one in Christ, that we might make a difference for the kingdom, and that we might make a difference in the lives of fellow believers who are friends and those who consider us enemies. Let us be your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your embrace. In Christ's precious name I pray. Join this local assembly. Come, give their life to you. Whatever the need, Father, just draw as we connect, as we grow, and as we multiply for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.